Hi, this is Brian Michael Bendis, uh, writer of Ultimate Spider-Man, and you are listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. Welcome to episode 23 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and we're the NCP crew. Richard. Where I come from, no woman is complete without a man. Luke. You must have some, you know, mighty fine jigsaw women then. <laughs> that was clever. I only just got that. <laughs> hey, Crystal. That is correct. His name is David. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for that assurance. <laughs> I forgot. I didn't know if it was David. What actually was David? <laughs> nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture-related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion throwing for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com, which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. This episode is going to be all about the Avengers. The crew just went and saw the Avengers movie a couple of days ago. Uh, it was released here a good two weeks before the States. Yeah, take yep. that, America. And England, where for some reason it's called Avengers Assemble. Yeah, take that, England. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like a Transformer bot. Avengers Assemble. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is their battle cry, but uh, it's, they renamed it because they thought people would be a bit confused but with the Avengers TV show. which is very, Yeah, they wonder very why, British. you know, Pat, why Steed and him appeal won't. Fighting Loki. I'm pretty sure they can tell the difference between a movie and God, a TV God, it'd be show. awesome if they had cameos. That, yeah, that, um... <laughs> yeah, do you really, but do you really want to see, you know, Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman in the background somewhere? Diana Rigg should have been Maria Hill. Not that chick from, from <laughs> uh, How I Met Your Mother or whatever. Jenny Agutter's in it. Speaking of British people. Is she really where? Yeah. Um, I think she's the woman that's um, on the screen with Powers Booth. You know, the different... Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure that's the, a... the, the conglomerate. Yeah. I think the pentaverate. The pentaverate. Who <laughs> <laughs> I hated Colonel Sanders. <laughs> the Rothschilds. <laughs> the Rockefellers. And Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Ooh, you're going to eat my chicken. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so, yeah, so Popcorn Junkie on the Avengers movie and then a roundtable on the Avengers comics. Our favourite team lineups and stories and a brief history of the Avengers in comics. Crystal, are you going to be able to stay awake during that? Oh, you know. <laughs> Just occasionally say the word Captain America, Thor or Iron Man. You'll be fine. Just throw it in every now and again. <laughs> I saw the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that is true. Uh, my advice for those who are not comic fans, at least stick around for the movie review because it's, you know, I enjoyed it, so you may too. It's good to hear. <laughs> so first up, Popcorn Junkie, The Avengers. Okay, the NCP crew just got back from watching The Avengers, and now we're going to give you our opinions. So The Avengers, uh, the, the latest in Marvel Studios' grand plan of films, it's a... Uh, of course, it's the follow-up from uh, the, their previous superhero films, Iron Man, Iron Man 2... Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger. 
that uh, combines all the, the main stars of those films together, uh, with, of course, a replacement of Edward Norton from The Incredible Hulk with uh, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Ruffalo. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> and what a fantastic choice that was. It was an excellent choice. Mark Ruffalo does a, a really top-notch job. So the, uh, the the main, the heavy hitters of the Marvel Universe uh, films... Literally. Yep, yeah, literally. Uh, put together to uh, save, the, save the Earth from an alien invasion. Tell us, Crystal, did you enjoy the film? I did. I did. <laughs> I did enjoy the film. I, I enjoyed the uh, comedy a lot. If they didn't have the comedy in there, I don't think I would have paid attention nearly as much as I did. The only problem I had with the film, which I have with most action films, is that some of the action scenes went on a, a little too long. Luke says... <laughs> Luke says, I like that. <laughs> Luke says that, that the, uh, action, uh, the role of action in a film is to progress the story. And uh, sometimes the story wasn't actually progressing. It was just a case of, let's see how we can beat each other up really cool in really cool ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's very comic-y. I mean, that's, that is, that is, that is very comic-y, but that's where you kind of lose my interest a bit. But uh, the, the comedy was... Uh, I think probably a little bit early on, the, um, the Iron Man Thor confrontation at the start of the film was probably a little bit lengthy but overall I think they actually and that, managed... did, and that did smack of uh, let's have a superhero yeah. knockdown that's which is, the exact scene I had which, in mind which is um, that's a very again a very comic book thing to do but I, I do see Crystal's point it actually doesn't well, the, the movie was long the enough anyway. afterwards where Cap comes in yeah. Yeah. Um, and you actually get a nice shot between you know what is the trinity of the Avengers yeah. you know, Cap, but if he had come in about well, it felt really long, so I'll say five minutes earlier, but probably it wasn't actually that long. Yeah. Probably, probably about 30, 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah. So, um, it's, so, like I said, it's the heavy hitters of the Marvel Universe, so you've got a lot of egos there. You've got uh, some big big names in their, their characters as well as the actors themselves. Um, Richard, you were saying uh, in our previous episode that you were worried that uh, Chris Evans as Captain America would be sort of overshadowed and not really be at the forefront that he was. How do you think that went? Um, I'm actually very pleasantly surprised for the most part by how that uh, went down. Um, I really thought that Robert Downey Jr. Um, and even Samuel L. Jackson might overshadow Chris Evans, partially because of Chris Evans' performance in Captain America, mm. the first Avenger. I thought he just wasn't quite Captain america enough for me. He didn't quite have that take-charge personality that high level of charisma that Captain America in the comics has. I mean, in the comics, Cap is able to rally basically the entire Marvel universe. Yeah, but that was kind of building him. up to that. They did. And and there are two things I think that they did very well um, in this film in order to to make that work. The first was that they played up the idea of Captain America as a man out of time. Mm. You know, he's just woken up um, having been on ice since World War Two. So a little bit of that, um, that played played to that nicely because Cap's not quite at that level of confidence um, that you see in the comic books, say, these days. Um, and whilst, whilst that is they they probably could have done a little bit more. They, I know they're not going to give the whole Cap out of time yeah. story. Well, I think, they're going to say Captain America too. Yeah. And that's where it should be safe for. But just yeah. a little bit more to show um, the distance that he, or the, the perceived distance that he might have between him and the rest of the team, Shield, 
the world, and that, and that think, gives you not, that there's a little bit of it there. I would have liked a little bit more. They did I think the... there's enough. I think if you if you tried to overplay it too much, because mm. there, there is a one of the strengths of this film too. I find is that there is actually some very good character work done, and it's it. not about any one. Character. Exactly. Yeah, and all of the characters have time to establish who they are, what they're about. Mm why they're there um, i quite enjoyed like the build-up and that they getting the team together a bit yeah yeah it was it was nice to see because they could have just gone straight into the action and just made it an action fest mm. you know they mm. could have made it like a, a michael bay transformers type film where there just are no characters but with, with, with um, joss whedon at the, at the helm you know it's not going to be the case yeah, I mean, he's yeah. he's all about the characters i yeah. mean he made i mean he made firefly what it was, but you know, with multiple characters, exactly right. All had their own distinct personalities and their own moments. So, the, what was the second thing you said? Was good? Yeah, the, the other good thing I think they did in building Captain America up was that they did establish that when in, in a war zone, Cap is in his element. So, when it time, comes time for them to rally as a team to fight off the alien invasion, that's when Cap gets a several really great moments to shine and to show what a leader he is and to show the strategist that he is. I mean, when there's a scene when they're all standing on the bridge whilst this invasion is taking place and they all turn to Captain America because that's what he does. He fights wars. He I really like that. Yeah. And it wasn't, so they, he didn't stand up and say, hey, listen to me, we're going to do this. No, just, there was no... There was, just, there was a small lull and then everybody just turned I, around. Yeah, there, there was no big sort of speech which can come across a little bit corny these yeah. days if yeah. it's badly written. So. I prefer the scene where he was directing a policeman that was also That's another good. excellent moment yeah mm-hmm. and they and they did that well it said yes he's a man out of time yes he's a little bit unsure of himself in his personal life and in his interactions with others but you put him on a battlefield and he gets a chance to shine and so i i give full credit to to joss whedon and to chris evans who i thought really stepped up his game well he actually started filming film. Directly after Captain America first yeah. came, and like he, two he, days off, and then bang, he was back into it. Yeah, again. and you can see that he's a lot more comfortable it was, in yeah. the role. Um, probably because he's a better director. Well, look, yeah. that's I think that's probably a big part of it, and, and somebody it, more more willing to direct him as a character, mm-hmm. as opposed to just trying to direct the film to actually give him direction on where to plus, go with the character. Plus, also a better excellent. sense of the script. I think overall, and we're talking a bit about Captain America, we've also got the other cast members to talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I got more sense of Captain America, you know, in the Avengers than I did in Captain America. Very much mm-hmm. so. And Very which is a bit so. of, says something about the quality of Captain America. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's credit to Joss Whedon um, and his co-writer on this because... Yeah, Zach the, Penn. Zach Penn? Yeah. The, the character work in this, I thought, was excellent. Yeah. And it gave everybody a chance to shine. And all the actors really, I think, just stepped yeah. up for it. Yeah, like you like said, we focused a lot on Captain America's thing. Well, we'll focus on the other characters as well. Yeah. But yeah, just to talk a bit about, about, about shots. Just before we move on, you talked about, you asked about the egos before. I thought they used that to good effect when uh, yeah. they were all arguing and it almost became their downfall. Yeah, yeah, very, very much. much that's, so. Yeah, that's, that's and it's a very, it's a very Marvel comics thing too for the heroes to yeah. sort of argue and bicker a little bit yeah. at first, and want to go off on their own. And I mean, it happens actually in Avengers number one. Yeah, um, when Which they're fighting awesome. the Hulk, you know. So they've done a great job of actually both adapting and updating the original um, Avengers number one story yeah. into sort of the modern film universe that they've created. I thought they, yeah. they did that fantastically. So before the film came out. Um, just about everybody who interviewed Joss Whedon was, you know, was talking about how you're going to get, how you're going to make it not be Iron Man centric. Yeah. And I was like, how are you going to pull that off? And I, I think he does. I mean, we're, mm. we're going to want to give too much away. I was, I was, I was, it was like, like you said, everybody has their arc. Mm. The, I think the, it was very, very cool. 
the Hulk arc was lacking a little bit. I do think he sort of uh, got to the point where he was uh, more sure of himself a bit quickly. I yeah, but that's, but that's but this time being passed from the Incredible Hulk film. No, no, I mean during this film, like yeah. at the start, um, Thor's trying to explain to him, like he, no, Thor, Iron Man's trying to explain to him, like you just make it a part of yourself and don't be afraid of it, and and then you don't see him for a little while, and then he mm. reveals his secret, well, how a... how he controls his anger all the time. Sort of, uh, oh, could have been, Hulk. yeah, there could have been a little bit more in there on mm. the Hulk. Okay, I thought. No, I, see, I, I, see I, what, I don't agree. I, I see what Crystal's saying. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think it's covered. I mean, I think it's covered enough in the Incredible Hulk film, like at the end of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, film but if if, if you want this to be a film that can also stand on its own, which it can, you don't yeah. have to have seen all the other films. Then yeah. I think that's a little bit like. I, I agree. The Hulk's the Hulk storyline is the least developed. Yeah. Fortunately, they've gotten a very good actor. Yeah. Who can actually pull it off? He's a, yeah. a really nicely nuanced performance He's by him a, as well. A, a nice there's time. a nervousness about him. There's a desire to control what's inside him, and I think that comes across even with only a limited amount of information provided about the character. Yeah, yeah. just his, his body language, yeah, the, the way he speaks, the, the sort of crouched, hunched. Yeah, I think he's yeah. just sense of humour. Yeah, that kind of self-depreciating. But then, sense but then of they make it up to him by giving you all, all the best scenes. I mean, the whole gets. Some pretty magnificent scenes. Yeah. Oh, there. The Hulk has. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of absolutely brilliant guy. action sequences <laughs> involved with the Hulk but, but going nuts. That, he actually gets quite a nice scene, I think, with Tony Stark when they're on the Shield helicarrier. Getting back to the scene that um, Crystal was talking about, where Tony Stark's trying to um, effectively mentor to him, yeah. but instead of it feeling like um, uh, the Tony Stark. You know, dominating thing. There's a nice sense of balance. Yeah, yeah there's respect on Tony people. Stark's part yeah. for Banner's intelligence. Yeah, so he's not trying to you know just lord over him. He's actually trying to work. They are they are trying to make it so that the the two characters are working together. Yeah, and trying to form a bond. And I thought that was really effective. I think, said, yeah. I think that's that's one of the successful things about the film um, is they actually do get the relationships right. Yeah, exactly right. Well, they, I think that overall there's a good balance between action, humor, big epic storytelling, and just really strong character moments to to sort of balance everything out. Yeah, that's so what I think is not... the main winner of this film, and, and why I enjoyed it so much is it is right. It's just it just had it just seemed to have the perfect balance of everything that you wanted in a comic yeah. book movie. Yeah, I mean it's just I mean it, it had the comedic scenes, which is you know the, the Josh the classic Josh Whedon scenes. It, I mean, it had the everybody had their had their arc. I mean, Black Widow had a, quite an extensive role for it. I mean, mm. unlike Iron Man Two, where she was basically just there as eye candy, whereas mm. this time she actually gets to do some stuff. Yeah. Especially her opening scene, her opening scene, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, one, one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, and but you know, Hawkeye as well. I mean, it's, it's, everybody had their part to play, and uh, it's it's just it was just a, it was, it's such so well done in, in its mix. I just uh, I was, I'm quite I was actually surprised. It was a good balance. It wasn't. It didn't take itself too seriously, but it wasn't a spoof either. Whereas I think that was the downfall of Captain America. It took itself as a serious film, and it, it really is a comic book film. It's not yeah, meant to be serious. Yeah, totally right. There's um, one thing that I'd like to comment on here is actually the use of Loki in this film. Yeah. First of all, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston, I think, is a lot more comfortable now in the role. Um, but they just give him a much stronger motivation. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Thor the film, 
But I thought probably the weakest aspect of it was that Loki's motivations for what he's, he was doing were a bit weak and understated. Spoiled British. Yeah, very much so. Whereas here... I think in the previous review you said he was like an, a, a whingy emo kid or something. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas here... He's much... allowed to be Loki. He's allowed exactly. to be the villain. He's, yeah. he's, he's evil. He's mischievous. He's a master manipulator. There's yeah. still, there was still a bit of the... Uh, uh, the what did I say? Wingy. The Wingy. <laughs> there, there, was, there was, yeah. But, I mean, uh, having established that personality already, it actually wasn't quite so bad here because no, you actually got to see him being the trickster god that he's meant to be. That's right, yeah. You know, the I way also... he just manipulates everybody yeah. early on in the film is just fantastic. Including Thor. I like the way Thor constantly still thinks he can, you know, win him over. Yeah. Remember what it was like in the good old days. and <laughs> Just doesn't understand that this guy is crazy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And and I'm I'm glad to see that. I'm glad that they really made Loki into the villain that, that he's meant to be. I mean, he is yeah. one of the great comic book villains. Yeah. And here they really gave him a chance to shine. It was great. Yeah, I mean, he still he had his comedic moments, which were, which were cool. Yeah. But then we the scene with Black Widow where he shows just how bad he actually is, and yeah. he just, he's just he really is evil. And, yeah. But then and of course you know then he has some more comedic moments after that. And, really cool. and once the, once again, there's some nice nuanced moments as well. You know. Moment, there's a moment in the film where he's actually inflicting pain upon somebody for a, an actual plot point. He needs something from this person. He's inflicting pain, and then you just see this very sort of slight smirk that he gets on his face, like, hey, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, you know, just he's more enjoying the reaction than everybody running away in fear. Just, yeah, like, exactly. when, I, when I saw that, I, all, I kept, all I kept thinking was he looks like Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> With that creepy smile. Just that, that if Sheldon was a god. <laughs> so let's talk about the, um, so that's, that's the characters, which I think they put off perfectly fine plus yeah. Jeremy Renner is Hawkeye well. I think yeah, dude, that's stuff. pretty good because he, he's only in a, like, in a blink you'll blink and you'll miss it moment with Thor Whereas, a, point, yeah, a totally pointless moment I like the agent just more, more, a, to, more a you know let's just introduce the character so that you know people know who he is going into Avengers whereas mm-hmm. I think and I hated him in Hurt Locker and I hated the Hurt Locker anyway but I think he does a very good job and of course, we didn't mention Thor as well, but yeah, yes, Thor is. Chris Hemsworth, I think, is of the main guys, um, the one who suffers the least, who suffers the most. He doesn't have as much to do. He gets a nice fight with um, the Hulk yeah. on the helicarrier. Oh, he's but, also got the you know, please don't do this Loki stuff. It's but because it's not developed, um, and I, and that's my main problem. I think the story needed a little bit more work. He sort of falls by the wayside. Whereas I actually think that um, I actually don't think he needed. As much work. I think that he was so well established in Thor yeah. as a character. I agree. Um, no, I want to give him something to do throughout the story. There was, a moment, there was a moment where you were like, where's Thor gone? Yeah, where's Thor gone? And yeah. then and, and where he's sort of doubting himself, where he's reaching out to Mjolnir and doesn't feel he's worthy enough to pick up the hammer. Yeah, but that's And I felt... that wasn't... I, I didn't quite get why he was suddenly feeling not worthy, given that the reason why things have happened is not because he hasn't actually sort of set up the plate he has and he's yeah. and that hmm. moment seemed to last an extraordinarily long time because yeah. they come back to it later and go, hang on he's still there mm. yeah, yeah they had to, they had to kind of, yeah he's still there right? I, there was, I must admit there was, there was a couple of moments like that also there's a scene where uh, Cap is hanging off a a wire oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, on the shield Harry, on the shield carrier and I'm just thinking Gee, Cap's been hanging there for a long time. You think by now he would have tried to basically claw his way back? <laughs> and then, of course, when he needs to claw his way up, he's up there in like two, two seconds. Two seconds. <laughs> so there are there are a couple of little moments like that. But um, I thought with the Thor thing that uh, it was well, we're trying that it's the Earth people defending Earth. So and he's sort of a visitor. So I didn't feel his absence all that much. 
and he steps up for um, he steps up for the big moments, which yeah. is very much a Thor thing in the comics. In in the Avengers comics, Thor is often not present until you require somebody to step up and confront the big bad guy, and um, and he has a lot of great moments in the comics where um, you know he's missing for two thirds of the story. Suddenly, Thor steps up, and you're like, "Yeah, this story has now become." Massive, you know, this has now become epic because Thor is there. Yeah, but they do that because so, if Thor was there from the start, there wouldn't be any story because he just he just take them all out. And that would be I, mean, I mean, but I think more as, characters, more as a character is what I'm getting at. Yeah, just, I agree with what you're saying. There's yeah. a scene where he's talking to Fury mm. and he's sort of like sort of gazed out the window and stuff. Mm. And it's like, well, this is it's kind of weak. I don't really yeah. see the could it could have been done a bit better, but. Yeah. Overall, but but having, having said that, with so much going on, and also with the need to introduce a couple of the other characters properly, mm. like the Black Widow, Hawkeye, um, to a lesser extent, the Hulk. Yeah. Um, but with the need to sort of introduce that a bit and to deal with Cap as a man out of time, I think, um, I, you know, I, I think sort of Thor going a little bit by the wayside wasn't too bad for me because he was such a well-developed and I think probably the best of the developed characters in in mm. his previous films. I think I'm I'm man. Iron Man for sure. Iron Man. I mean, he basically he shows up in the film, and you don't need to know anything because mm. you you know exactly who he is and what he does. Yeah, but he is he is a great character established right from the outset, and continues to just be a great character yeah. because partially because of you know the, a pretty well written script, but mainly because Robert Downey Jr. is unbelievably yeah. charismatic. I'm, I'm glad um, I'm glad Justin didn't let him dominate the scenes. He, I mean, he's got, he's, a, he's a clear presence whenever he appears, mm-hmm. and he's brilliant. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's never allowed to dominate, which I thought was like the scene, which I thought was pretty. Yeah, good. and they, they do kind of downplay him a little bit. I yeah. think in that regards, like he's not quite as over the top in this as he is in the Iron Man films, yeah. which I think was a good choice. Do you know what I like about Iron Man as compared to the other superheroes? Is it just in he, he wanders around in his day clothes and he only puts on his suit when he actually has to go and do stuff and yeah. the, the suit's sort of like a functional working thing that he's created but his day clothes are just normal everyday grungy day clothes <laughs> his black 70s yeah yeah he's a bit more realistic <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk a bit of a bit production so it's um, it's quite extravagant as a ridiculous amount of special effects shots but um, the special effects don't overwhelm the story that's right I think the special good. effects serve the story yeah. um, there's a, there, was a, there was a couple of things that I wasn't wasn't too pleased with his. Uh, I, just, I just think that the the space serpent things looked way too much like Shockwave from Transformers Three, um, and, and even made the same noise. And the creatures from Skyline and um, Battle Los Angeles, a yeah. little bit more of a, I guess, a Kirby esque feel to them might have been a bit more appreciated to give them something yeah. a bit more dynamic. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it just it's not just a huge amount, but just something that to make them look a little bit more. Like they belong in the Marvel universe, as they say, you know, just straight out of another, you know, big block, uh, blockbuster science fiction yeah. action. I did appreciate that it wasn't a giant robot. Mm. So I was like, oh, it was, yeah, well, yeah, it was organic. It was, yeah. But other than that, I think the special effects were mm. very well done. Yep. I mean, I was, it, just want to take a second here to just comment on how good the Hulk looked. Oh yeah, that unbelievable! Was just one of the best, you know, pure CGI creations I've seen. Yep. Probably the best I've seen since um, possibly King Kong. He wasn't as ripped as the Incredible Hulk version, no. but he wasn't as flabby as the Ang Lee Hulk. Yeah, and he also wasn't like ridiculously tall. He was taller than Thor, yeah. but not so much. You taller. can see a resemblance in the face too. You can yeah. still yeah. see the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there yeah. was, yeah, I mean, he was a very big, muscular character, but it wasn't like they put extra muscles on top of him to make him even yeah. more. The Incredible muscular. Hulk version has got 
zero effect and so it's just mm. it's just bands of muscle and it's yeah. just like it's just it's distracting mm. I mean it's still better than the Anne Lee version but it's, it's just so distracting that you mm. can't really watch it whereas this version yeah. you just look like a real presence you know yeah. what I mean especially that There's, scene where Thor and Hulk are standing next to each other yeah. and it's like it's, it just looks magnificent there, there is one thing I want to comment on negatively about the production design and that's um, I gotta say Captain America's uniform yeah yeah, no, not not great. Um, I, don't, I don't. I still don't know why they haven't gone for more of a chainmail look. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just you know, more, I think or, I, or at least more armor, like a Kevlar yeah. version. Go the armor, like, yeah, yeah. I understand it, what they're doing with it. I mean, they did a better job to give them a bit more flexibility, yeah. but at least in you know, even in whilst the the design of the new Batman costume isn't that great, yeah. they've at least gone. He needs body armor to protect himself, and I think Cap needs. I actually prefer the first Avenger version of the Cap outfit. Yeah, well, I mean, that's obviously a little bit more of a soldier uniform. Yeah. You know, they actually give him... And know, I think the they realise and... the suit's not too good because he's taken the helmet, he's taken the, the mask off, like... It comes off accidentally. Most of the time. Yeah. yeah. It comes off... <laughs> it gets... It gets, it gets yeah, like, 80% leave. of the time he's in the costume, but without yeah. the helmet, without the so mask. So I actually thought, I thought, what's the point of him wearing it? Because you can see... <laughs> I really. What I don't understand as well is, I mean, they've done a really great job on um, Thor's... Costume armor. Mm. I think Thor looks looked great in this, and he never wears the helmet. No, but which is fine. You know, but that, that, for a movie, you know that that makes sense. But um, yeah, they've done such a great job on Thor's look that yeah, Captain America just kind of well that, looks that, a bit weak by comparison to everybody else in the film. Loki wears the helmet, and it makes him seem pretentious and what. So I mean, yeah. maybe the fact that he doesn't wear the helmet is deliberate. Yeah. Oh, I think and I love right. I yeah, love Loki Loki's. wears it like a like a crown. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I love both of Loki's looks in this. Mm-hmm. The armoured look that he has, and then when he's just sort of wandering around in his, in his robes. In his robes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like they've, they've done really great production design across the board, except on Captain America. <laughs> and um, the serpent creatures. I didn't like the, uh, at the very beginning of the film, the up shots. Look, looking up at Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, some of the uh, camera very, work was a bit... Very bit glad that that didn't yeah. continue throughout the film. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's two minutes. I think that's Joss Whedon trying to go, I am not a TV director, I'm yeah. a film director now. I'm sure that's, so that's why he was going for also, shots that looked a bit yeah. more um, creative than he's used to. I'm using the term as you know, yeah. nicely as possible there. Um, I, I think also, though, when you're shooting up, you know, from that sort of low angle up, up at characters... It is designed specifically to make people look bigger, in this case, more heroic. Yeah. Well, I know that, um, but, and I think, but, but yeah, but it's just, it's just like there's two minutes of it. Yeah. That I don't think you know that, and I'm yeah. doing this to make you get that. Like, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, no, there's, 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 too long. Yeah. there's about two minutes of just those shots, basically. And there's another shot during the Black Widow interrogation where she like flips some dude over with her legs and stuff, and the camera actually goes on its side. I was like, what was the point of that? There's, it doesn't make anything seem easier to see. I didn't know an artistic choice. Having said that, I think Joss Whedon has actually, um, with this, has actually stepped up his game into being a film director. Totally. His, yeah. his previous efforts have very much looked like, you know, TV directing on the big screen. And, and it is a very different style of filmmaking. Um, in this, I think he's, uh, yeah, he's actually really stepped it up and it does... You know, it, it, it comes across, for the most part, as very well directed. Um, I think he's still got a way to go. I think he got better towards the end, particularly with the um, the final the final SmackDown. Yeah. Um, at the start and in the middle, there's a bit of flab. 
in, in terms, not just in terms of the script, in terms of the filmmaking as well. The shots could have been a bit tighter. Yeah. Um, the cuts could have been a bit, um, a bit cleaner and could have been a bit, a bit snappier. Just to, to help keep things going along, I thought there was there were moments where we were seeing we, we were holding on shots for just a bit too long. So you wouldn't really... be buying the extended version when it comes out. <laughs> Possibly not. <laughs> Look, I, honestly, I'm just glad there was no lens flare. The oh, worst thing I see so from and, well, and it wasn't JJ Abrams. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's the worst thing you see from TV directors stepping up into film is this constant reliance on lens flare. Even worse than Lens Flare is, uh, I don't know if you've seen Serenity, but uh, there's a scene where Mal's giving his, his big speech about why they're going to do what they're going to do. Oh, and then you've got the, and the, the light, light behind. behind yeah. it. And it yeah, actually puts about. him into shadow. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, once this again, is the that's... worst shot, light, light shot I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Once again, that's, that's TV directing. Um, it, it makes the Lens Flare of Star Trek look good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really and, um, yeah, no, I think... And you know I how think much I hate that Lens Flare. Well, I think he's moved up to another level with this. Yeah, and I, and he's definitely improved. See. There's no doubt no about it. I mean, if, he's, if his uh, choice of camera work was as, as good as his storytelling, I think he'd, he'd be a master. But it's, mm. it's definitely an improvement, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, overall, um, awesome stuff. So let's just uh, get a couple more. Anybody got any more negatives out of the way? before um, we Yeah, I, actually th- uh, I think part of the, it actually took a while for me to really get into the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in, I was, I was kind of enjoying what I, the, the small moments that I was seeing up until the up, up, but it wasn't up until um, the moment where the Avenger, where the group is actually together and they're arguing. Yeah. From that point onwards, I really started to enjoy the film. Okay. Up until that point, I kind of felt it was bitsy, and I wasn't really into the story. I just felt there, there's a okay. moment in between where Thor, Cap, and Iron Man they've had their fight. Cap's actually done a pretty good job of bringing them together, and you get a nice moment between you know the Trinity of the Avengers. And then to the moment where they are arguing and um, about giving things away, there is another big action scene on the shield helicarrier. Yeah. In between, I just sort of I was almost a bit bored. Okay. Yeah, I think well, that I like the I like the lead up. I like the gathering of the people. Okay. Yeah. I like the no, most part. There was no, one... My big thing was that there was no real development. There was a, a plot. To, there was, there was a, an idea for the plot to get them going, getting the test Well, It's kind of also a bit of a recap for. If you hadn't seen the other films before or or those that hadn't seen them for a while. I I do agree. There was a slight lull in the film for me just before that big confrontation on the shield carrier that you mentioned. Mm. Um, It was just a a little bit too long. Yeah. Yeah. But once it got going again, it was, Mm. yeah, I thought it really just... Everything from the conversation in in the lab... Yeah. Like the big argument yeah. onwards is just a juggernaut. It's yeah. just a yeah. train of a film. It just yeah. doesn't stop from there. But still, never losing the good character moments. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's 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 sort of what sustained me through that lull. But I was in there going, I want, I want the story to develop. The strongest storyline I thought with the characters was in fact Black Widow's story, yeah. um, or the potential for it to be pretty strong. Oh, like, a superpowered female. That's Joss Whedon's staple. A super, um, yeah. a, 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 it's a staple. That sounds negative when I say that. It gets revealed that you know she's done some stuff that she's not proud of in her career, yeah. and there might be a, a redemptive story arc. And also, and this is without giving things away because it's quite early on. She wants to help um, Hawkeye. Yeah, that's that sort of thing. Um, I actually wondered if it would be a good idea to give her the the lion's share of the film and actually see the formation of the team more from her eyes. But if you do it that mm-hmm. way, you lose too much of the I'm other saying, character stories. I'm not saying where it becomes become... solely her story. Mm-hmm. No, but, it no, but, it, but if you're seeing it, 
Yeah, but if you're seeing it through through her as your POV character, then you're missing out on a lot of what's going on. With well, the Black Widow would be my only actually my other negative because her story is the only one where I felt that I, I missed a bit. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly nothing in Iron Man 2 that you've missed out on. So what was presented in the Avengers really was just yeah. everything that they wanted to tell you about the character. That's all you need to know, really. Yeah, so, you know, Russian spy. A bit more about Clint would have been good. Um, I, I liked I mean, why, why the archery of all things. I mean, he's a special forces officer. There was, there was yeah, some... that's not really explained either, yeah. is it? Also, maybe a little bit more about um, Loki's allies. And I'm saying that without giving things away because... Yeah, it's all over the interwebs, but we're not going to give it away for our listeners. Yeah. So um, it's... I mean, there's a, there's a thing that, that kiddies you in it, there's more to what's going on, but yeah. if, I mean, we sat next to a person who's not a comic book fan, and they turned to us and asked us, well, hang on, what what's that about? Who's that? Yeah, so you're talking about the bits. Uh, so after the film ends, mm. um, we have a, a, a brief credits sequence mm. where they do the main people, mm. and then they, instead of having the end credits uh, tidbit, they actually had it up in that bit there. Mm. Which is then reveals the the ultimate bad guy, so the bad guy behind Loki, and sets up Iron Man too, and uh, sets up Avengers too. Sorry, yeah, that's right. Um, and so yeah, and so he turned to you and initially said, "Who who was that?" Yeah, because because um, when because when that scene appeared, I was like, "That's awesome!" Yeah, well, there were people awesome. there were people in the crowd yeah, clapping and cheering. Yeah, everybody was going, "Oh, awesome!" And I went, "Who that?" What? <laughs> and and uh, without spoiling, because I also went, "That is cool," because yeah. that's. It is a magnificent it's, it's scene. One of, it's one it's, of my favourite aspects of the Marvel Universe. Um, but up until that point, the the army that Loki has is, is just... Just a generic army? Just a generic army. So just a little bit more... Uh, maybe a bit more investigation on the Avengers part as to... Because Thor, Thor knows who they are. Because he says... He, tell, he tells the Avengers who they are. So just a little bit more of an investigation. Just so they get more of an idea who they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. They just sort of go in with no knowledge whatsoever. I suppose, I suppose that didn't really bother me all that much because the focus, as far as villains go, the focus was on Loki as the leader of an army. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I really wasn't all that concerned about Loki's army. I was more concerned about what Loki was doing. And I mean, I do, I do take your point, but I, mean, I wanted to tie a story. As usual, I want to tie a story. So I thought the story was actually very as, as, as it needed to be. No. Yeah, it was. Still, no, no, yes, no, it could have been yeah. tighter. Yes, it could have, but it didn't need to be tighter, and that's why I think it was fine. Mm. The way that the characters react to what's going on then dictates where the story goes from that point. Exactly. And so, therefore, the characters are still driving the story. Yes, they are reacting to a big war situation that's going on, but it's because of the strong characters dictating the direction that the story goes. And but they're not I dictating the that... direction of the action. I agree with you. That happens... After the big argument, up until then, it's just we just need to get all the all the things into place. Oh, there's no yeah. argument there. Yeah. Well, no, but yeah. it's also so we have to introduce character, who the character these characters stuff. are. We have to move them into place, and you have to show them coming together as a team. And that's part of what this because you're dealing with very but strong ego-driven individuals that need to come together as a team. They and they, I think they do, do that up beautifully. I think they could have done a far better job because it just no. felt like. We, let's just put all the elements in place so that we can satisfy all the action requirements for this type of story. No, you're just wrong. No. Okay, all right. <laughs> we're going to mediate. I'm going to pull a mediate hat and uh, we'll stop it there. It was very entertaining, but uh, we'll be here for hours otherwise. Uh, let's go into uh, any final thoughts and ratings. Richard? I thought that this was actually the best of Marvel's Movies, the Marvel Studios of the Marvel Studios movies that we've gotten over the last sort of ten or so years. That of course means we can't count the Spider-Man films, which means we can't count Spider-Man Two. 
Yes. Which but I think I think that this is really the one that has. Okay, let's not count Spider-Man Two. This is just still better. You think Avengers is better than Spider-Man Two? Well, certainly more entertained by it. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's not go <laughs> before I start. I think you up. Uh, yeah, as I said, I think this has found the, um, uh, an almost perfect balance between character-driven moments, action moments, humor moments. I think it's it's all come together perfectly, and that Marvel's plan has actually come to fruition yeah. in this film. And I'm, I, I respect the work that they've done to get up to this point. Um, you, can, you can only imagine the, the looks on their faces at the moment. I mean, they, they, they'd be jumping for joy. Yeah. I, well, I, don't, I don't, don't remember being in a, in a cinema. Well, recently anyway, I don't remember being in a cinema where the audience have clapped at the end. Yeah, I haven't impressive. seen an audience clapping and cheering this much since Yoda in Attack yeah. of the Clones. Good call. Oh, we also need to point out, sorry, just before Richard, if we continue, we actually saw the non-3D version, so we don't, can't really comment on the, the 3D effects mm. and whether they're any good or anything. But judging from the 2D version, I didn't see anything that was obvious. Like, Thor didn't throw the hammer directly yeah, so at the that screen. That was putting yeah. the animation for the 3D. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. it probably was, but who knows. Yeah, so, um, yes, in summing up, yes, I think they've done an excellent job here. It's not a flawless film, but um, I thought it was very good, and I'm giving it uh, four looks. Luke? Um, I agree with Richo in that it is the best of the Marvel films um, today. Um, I disagree with just about everything else he said. Um, let me qualify. I, did, I was entertained, and, you know, I did laugh at the... You know, at the you know at the humorous moments, I did appreciate the small character moments. Um, would have liked a much much tighter story for the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. I thought it could have, you could have done so much more. Um, having said that, the last action scene is I'm going to say this now the best superhero um, fight scene ever done. It's even, outdone Superman too. Even better than Superman two. Fair enough. Um, I give this. 2.5 looks. You are the hardest critic I've ever known. You've just given it less than a Ron Howard film. <laughs> so so Avengers, 2.5 looks. Yes. You stand by that statement. I stand by that statement. Crystal. I give this four looks. And it's uh, probably the best out of the recent crop of superhero films I've seen. It's still not better than Superman movie. I just want to support Crystal by saying that she has she and I have ranked this film the same thus proving that Luke is wrong what about me oh, just because just, just I, <laughs> I liked it better than Luke doesn't mean he's wrong <laughs> he's definitely wrong uh, I actually I'm, I'm, I, I agree with points that both of you have said <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think Dave um, I'm going to just go I'm going to go right on the fence with both of you as well I actually do agree with you know points that both of you have said um, but I'm leaning more towards uh, Crystal and Richo I don't think this is uh, as good as Superman the movie or uh, Spider-Man 2, <laughs> which uh, I give five, five looks. Um, it's but... better than Spider-Man 2. <sighs> Seriously, people. I'm going to go, go on a murderous rampage in a second. I just want to say that I support David here. Spider-Man 2, awesome. It is awesome. Um, yes, and they're but, wrong. But I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I, just, I cannot tell you just how... I mean, I, was, I, I mean, our followers will know that I was mad, crazy excited for it before we went into it you know, with the tweets and the posts and I actually did a one of my spotlights on the fil- the films that led up to this, the, the Road to the Avengers. Um, I have to agree with, uh, with the crew in saying that it is definitely the best of the Marvel Studios films. And uh, I just think it's a perfect example of how a superhero movie should be done. And uh, I give it uh, 4.5 looks. Is, uh, it was it was almost, almost perfect. Um, I do agree with Luke's 
everything before the the argument in the lab, which I think is a magnificent scene. Mm. Um, everything before that, yeah, it had some cool moments. The Black Widow scene is, is one of the best introductions of a character, I think, that I've seen in the Marvel films, at least. It's awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it could have been trimmed a bit more, I, th- I think. But uh, everything from then on was just absolutely wonderful, amazing stuff. I was on the edge of my seat, and uh, just the humour I thought was just spot on. I mean, there was there was not a single joke where I thought that was lame. It was just it was just all spot on stuff. And look, I had to agree with you again. The the fight sequence, especially when Hulk, you know, Hulk mm. smash and off he goes. Mm. It's just magnificent. Oh. There was a, there was a build up for a number of years to this film. And people would sit there and wait till the end of the credits to see what the next little sneaky bit was going to be. So, given this build-up, do you guys think that this film has met expectations? Is this the the wow, amazing film that Marvel kind of promised with the build-up? Definitely. I would say it's actually, in many respects, exceeded my expectation because... I'll be honest with you, my expectation of this film actually wasn't that high. Yeah. Um, I actually thought, after all that build-up, they're going to botch it. Uh, we yeah. should just point I out here that Avenger, of the, of the four people sitting here, Richo was probably the biggest Avengers That's fan. true. I, I am an Avengers fanatic, I admit that. And that mm. probably played into it as well. I thought, they've built this up, you know, and, and they're going to blow it. They're going to do something wrong, and I'm going to walk away from the film really annoyed. Kind of a bit like I was with Captain America. But yeah, so they've actually exceeded my expectations with this film quite substantially. That was a good question. I thought so. Excellent question, yeah. How about, how about yourself? I mean, you were, yeah. forced to, you were forced to sit through all the, through. the preceding films. It is better. It's, it, it's much better than I thought it was going to be. I heard you chuckling a couple of times. Uh, I chuckled a lot because <laughs> I, I enjoy the comedy and I think there should be more comedy in superhero films. There is a... Yeah. I just want to point out without spoiling anything... There is an absolutely hilarious moment that got us all laughing yeah. between Hulk and Thor. I don't, think I don't think there's anybody in the audience that was not laughing at that. Scene. Yeah, that was everything just, from that the was little just... kids who were just it was just like oh cool. Yeah, to like to the adults who were just like that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. <laughs> it was really. It was a real Saturday morning cartoon. It was. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm undecided whether I think. Because I'm not a big fan of the superhero films to start with, so the build-up didn't really mean all that much to me. That, so I'm not, I'm undecided whether it, it meets expectations. Just do it again. Four and five. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's our uh, Avengers review. Our opinions. Um, I just, I, I can't just go see this film. Go see it on the big screen. It's a big it's screen experience. It's definitely a big screen experience. Um, no doubt about it. Unless you're lucky enough to have one of those ridiculously large TVs. Yes. Just, yeah. We're here no. at Nerd Culture Podcast. Do not condone downloading. <laughs> no, we do not. Um, no, this, this, is, way, this is a good, a good example of how to do a big blockbuster popcorn film. Right. And it's, it's right up there with the with the best superhero films. Yeah. And take a cushion. In our opinion, not the yeah, Luke's opinion, but uh, take a cushion because it's a long film. It does go for a while. It's like two yeah. and a half hours, yeah? Yeah. yeah. By the way, I'd just like to point out that, you know, it did quite exceed my expectations because they were pretty low to begin with. Well, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Okay, coming up next, uh, let's continue the Avengers theme with a roundtable on all things Avengers in the comics. Oh, yeah. You're, I know you're especially fired, Richard. Avengers Assemble, baby. Just no Jocasta. What's wrong with Jocasta? <laughs> I, might, I might go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> roundtable. We're 
we've dined well here in Camelot. We eat ham and jam and spamot. Okay, let's hit it with our roundtable on The Avengers. The Avengers debuted in The Avengers number one, funnily enough, September 1963, using existing characters created primarily by writer-editor Stan Lee uh, and Jack Kirby, who also co-plotted and penciled. The great Jack Kirby. The Avengers movie should have been Jack Kirby's The Avengers. <laughs> and Stan Lee, of course. Sorry. Yes, there's actually been a bit of a dispute about that, from uh, a bit of an uproar from fans in that... Uh, Kevin Feig, when he's been talking about the Avengers film, has been playing up Stan Lee's involvement as the creator of the Avengers. Yeah. But not Jack Kirby in any way. <laughs> but fortunately, Jack is actually credited in the film, which is Yeah, good. that's true. I mean, let's not take anything away from Stan Lee, but... No. Still, I mean, give, give Kirby the credit mm. that he is due. I mean, you call him the king. Why not treat him like the king? Exactly right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so the Avengers were um, started in order to compete with DC Comics' Justice League of America, which was very successful at the time. Uh, so the idea of getting your, your heavy hitters together into one team. Uh, the initial series was published bi-monthly uh, through to issue six, and then monthly. Uh, labelled Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers originally consisted of Iron Man, Ant-Man, Wasp, Thor, and Hulk, and Captain America then joined in issue four. Absolutely classic moment in the book, and Brilliant really, stuff. and really the the first moment that elevates the book. Yeah, into and something Hulk, better. Hulk's left by that point. Yeah, it's yeah. Hulk leaves. Hulk leaves at the end of issue two. Yeah, that's right. And then in issue three, he teams up with the sub submariner to actually fight the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when Captain America comes in in issue four, the book just steps it up a level. Yeah. So throughout the years, the Avengers, uh, whose battle cries "Avengers Assemble," uh, has featured. Uh, Humans, mutants, robots, gods, aliens, supernatural beings, and even former villains. <laughs> the second major turning point for the Avengers is actually Avengers 16, where all of those heavy hitters that they had, except Captain America, leave the team, and he gets Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye, all former villains, <laughs> suddenly suddenly sign up for the team. And uh, yeah, it's actually a pretty amazing moment to, you know, to take your winning formula and dump it. <laughs> and to bring in, you know, three possibly reforming villains to make up your team. And then of course, Dark Scarlet Witch becoming a staple and uh, Hawkeye well, staples of the series. Good absolutely, silver, and it's not a, so much, but it's a credit to Stanley. But more importantly, I think to Roy Thomas, who took over um, from Stanley around about issue twenty-five or thereabouts, mm. that they were able to take these villain characters and actually make them into mainstays of the Avengers team. Yeah, we'll but get, it must we'll have been a pretty radical more. moment for readers at the time, yeah. back in the 60s, to suddenly have the team just dumped and replaced. So like all comics, it had its own spin-off series. Uh, one of them was West Coast Avengers, when uh, some of the team went off to the West Coast of America, funnily enough, um, which had some classic stories. Yep, absolutely. Is that like um, NCISLA? Yeah, same deal. <laughs> well, so, yep. Sort of, yeah. Yep. Um, it, it stemmed from a story in which... NCIS Avengers. <laughs> it stemmed from a story in the main book in which a character called The Vision yep. uh, effectively took over the world. Yep. And uh, he decided that the Avengers would be more effective in you know, protecting America and the world if they actually had a team on both coasts. So he set up a, a second team. There was also another series called Solo Avengers. Uh, which was retitled Avengers Spotlight Issue 21, which I was a big fan of. There's a really cool Hawkeye story. Yeah. So a brief history of the Avengers in uh, comics. Now, the first adventure featured the Asgardian god Loki, just like the film. Oh, uh, who wanted revenge against Thor. Uh, the roster changes almost immediately, as Richard said. Uh, for the second issue, uh, Ant-Man becomes Giant-Man, and uh, Hulk leaves. Uh, they fight Namor. 
uh, Captain America joins, and then they go on to fight uh, quite a lot of Captain America villains. Baron Zemo, the Masters of Evil. Great stuff. I love the Masters of Evil. Uh, Can the Conqueror, Wonder Man, back when he was a villain, and uh, Count Nefaria. Uh, but they were eventually rejoined by uh, Henry Pym, Goliath, and the Wasp. That's true. He's become Goliath by this point. Yeah, and then uh, also Hercules, Black Knight, and Black Widow. Uh, they also uh, eventually get Black Panther and Vision, who is named because uh, his first appearance scares the Wasp. He's an unearthly Vision in her mind. Plus, he also looks like the orig- the Golden Age character. Yeah, the Vision. He does. Yeah, um, which is you know not apparent when you read the story, but when you look at the cover. But that first appearance of his, those first two issues, just. Brilliant. Mm, one of the stuff. best Avengers stories, and also featuring one of the most iconic Avengers covers. Behold yeah. the Vision. Behold the Vision. Just fantastic. It's like classic uh, old sci fi with the aliens and stuff like that. It is. It's brilliant yeah. stuff. The, the day the Earth stood still mm. and stuff like that. The Avengers are headquartered in Avengers Mansion, which is uh, until it's destroyed a couple of times, <laughs> it's just <laughs> a staple. They're their home base. Uh, it's provided by Tony Stark. Um, who's uh, Iron Man's real identity, obviously, and uh, he's mega, mega rich. And the mansion is serviced by Edwin Jarvis, who I'd just like to point out that uh, on the back cover of the Avengers Under Siege story, uh, trade paperback, which I'll get to later, which is the best Avengers story, uh, it has actually has three rules. There are certain unwritten rules that apply to the Avengers. The Earth's mightiest heroes are a unified and unbeatable unit. No intelligent foe would launch a direct assault on their mansion. And third... Jarvis, the team's butler, is off-limits to physical assault. Touch Jarvis at your folly. He's a legend. It, it's amazing just um, how Jarvis develops as a character and be, does become one of the absolute essential elements of the team. It's yeah. So much so that, that eventually they actually just start doing issues focused entirely on him Jarvis and his life. Um, there's, there's probably been three or four issues devoted purely to him. And that's pretty amazing for a guy who is basically just a butler. Basically, yeah. Alfred mm. in the Marvel yes, Universe. Uh, the next adventure for the Avengers was versus the Squadron Supreme, mm. who are essentially the Justice League, League. <laughs> which is uh, pretty cool and a, a firm favorite of mine. I love the Squadron Supreme. Awesome. Well, actually, it was actually the Squadron Sinister mm. at yeah, that point. That's true. Um, it's not until a little bit later that you find out that the Squadron Sinister were actually created um, as effectively as cosmic clones yeah. of a group called the Squadrons of Peewee who live on their own Earth and uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah they are essentially the Justice League yeah. I love the moment in um, the JLA event the Justice League Avengers crossover that they did in the early noughties where Hawkeye in the DC Universe is sort of a is sort of a bit perplexed by this this strange familiar sensation he keeps getting from the Justice League. Yeah, he and actually he does realizes re- that they're nothing but Squadron Supreme wannabes. And yeah, that's the line he uses. Mm. <laughs> Who are these Squadron Supreme wannabes? <laughs> Which I think is just awesome. It is cool. And then, of course, they move on to the uh, the epic uh, Kree Skrull War, mm. uh, which introduces uh, which guest starred uh, Kree hero Captain Marvel. Yay! Well, that was a big turning point for the book as well. Mm. I mean. It went from, you know, these sort of, you know, big storylines to creating this multi-part epic Mm. um, that in many respects changed the nature of Marvel Comics in general. Suddenly, big epic storylines were were the way to go. Uh, And then the Vision and the Scarlet Witch fall in love, which is a bit strange. A mutant and an android. Don't get me started. One of the best couples in Marvel's history. Really? Um, Absolutely. 
Well, think about it. Reed and Sue? Also a great couple. Peter and Mary Jane, also a great couple. But you've got, as you pointed out, a synthetic humanoid being, like an artificial human, and a mutant, both of who are experiencing prejudice against them beforehand, who actually overcome the prejudices and the self-doubts that they have. And there's incredible self-doubts in those in the sort of early parts of their relationship to actually come together and well okay they get married by a mortar so i don't know just how legal that is but um, <laughs> but i actually think it's it's one of the the great romance stories of the marvel universe um you know overcoming oppression and, and prejudice and you know the the belief of of the public that there's something wrong with the the nature of their relationship and it shows that you know that love conquers all in the end and i think it's I think, I think it's, it's a bit of a statement for interracial marriage. I think so. I mean, obviously, mutants have always, um, you know, have always sort of represented anybody that's suffering oppression or prejudice, or mm. whether it's racial or sexual or cultural or whatever. Um, yeah, and I mean, the vision is very much presented as inhuman when he first appears, and one of the one of the great story arcs from his appearance in in issue 57 through to when they get married in giant sized Avengers number four is his development into understanding what humanity is and his belief that deep down emotionally he is human. Mm. I think he's one of the best stories of that period of Avengers history. And during this period, you also get uh, the magnificent George Perez popping on as artist. Oh yes. Magnificent. Well, well, this is the book that he uh, really started to make a name for himself. Mm. Um, And now he is the Avengers artist. It's uh, I dispute that, but it's it's he's considered by many, yeah. probably by most, to be the number one Avengers artist. Yeah, but what, who do you think it is? John Basima. John Basima is excellent. He drew uh, the book at different points over four decades, and yeah. I think, um, especially that that mid to late sixties period, yeah, um, was I think the, the team of him, um, Roy Thomas as writer and Tom Palmer as inker, actually established just about everything. Mm that the Avengers would be from that point onwards. So I, I consider him the defining us. And he drew under siege the greatest Avengers story ever. So Perez would be second? Perez would be second. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. Um, I pretty much agree. John Buscema is the definitive Avengers artist. George Perez, second or third, with maybe Don Hector in there as well. Oh, there you go. And I'd also include John Byrne. And Byrne, yeah. Good John call. Byrne for his multiple runs on the book mm. as well. Just fantastic. Uh, after a seven-issue stint with Jerry Con- uh, Jerry Conway, we then get Jim Shooter beginning writing. A controversial figure. He's controversial, but he's got an awesome blog. He does check it, very check out his blog, people. It's great www.jimshooter.com Yeah, good stuff. Which uh, has some classic adventures, including The Bride of Ultron, the Nefaria awesome. Trilogy, and so one of my awesome. personal favourites, The Callback Saga. <laughs> uh, with his run, we also get uh, some new members, uh, The Beast, Yep. Uh, Wonder, Wa- Wonder Man, Rosa Rex, and uh, Falcon, and Ms. Marvel. The Falcon. the Former partner of Captain America. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> that's absolutely hilarious. But the addition right. of the Falcon um, <laughs> as <good>. basically tokenism. <laughs> that's right, because government... Shooter also introduces uh, Peter Garrick, Henry mm. Peter Garrick, who basically says that due to affirmative, affirmative action laws... They have to put have to the, get the Falcon, Falcon on there. Yeah, they give and he's Hawkeye not happy the with it. Isn't that David Michelini? No, it's Shooter. Isn't that David Michelini's first issue? No, I mean, Shooter set it all up. Yeah. So okay. that makes sense. We'll go with that. But I think Michelini scripted the first issue. But, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, Hawkeye's not happy at all. No. 
At least uh, it's very humorous. To his credit, Falcon's not happy either. No, no. Well, the, the, the government intervention in the Avengers lineup actually kind of annoys everybody. <laughs> but it's a great little uh, subplot that carries through that period of the team. Then we also get we get um, Henry Pym's breakdown and uh, his uh, constant uh, identity problems and inferiority complex, which but, then leads to the, the infamous beating of his wife, the Wasp. It's actually... Never read it, so I can't actually comment, but... Well, it's interesting. Jim Shooter, on the aforementioned blog, mm. actually says that um, the artist of on the issue, Bob Hall, actually drew the scene incorrectly. Yeah. That it wasn't actually meant, meant to, to push be... her away. Well, he was meant to sort of, sort of lash out a bit and accidentally hit her. Yeah. Whereas in the comic, it looks like he's just turned just, and punched just, her like smack in yeah. the face. So heavy backhand. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate because it's part of a rather interesting storyline that does draw on the history of the character. I mean, he has had um, issues with um, mind control. He's had issues with multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. He actually creates a whole other identity for himself as Yellow Jacket and doesn't even realise that Yellow Jacket and he are the same person. Yep. So you're talking multiple multiple personality disorder. Um, the guilt at the creation of Ultron. The guilt at the creation of Ultron. And all of that plays into this nervous breakdown that he has. Mm. Um the unfortunate part of it is that the everything about the character is now defined by that one panel. I think it's kind of sad that 20 years later, it's still referenced. Mm. It's like, I know time works differently in, in the Marvel Universe, but it's, I mean, okay, the man's, they've, they've, they've reconciled, he's apologised multiple times. It's like, well, they've actually it's not gone like through... he, he grew up one day thinking, I'm going to be a wife beater. Mm. Well, multiple writers have actually gone through efforts to try to um, rebuild the character. Steve Englehart did it. I think very well in um, the first sort of 25 or so issues of West Coast Avengers. Um, He brings the character to the point where he's almost going to commit suicide Hmm. um, until a character called Firebird comes and kind of stops him from doing it and he he rebuilds himself. Kurt Busiak on his run in the late 90s also went through a lot of efforts to try to rebuild the character but time and time again new writers just keep going back to this one scene. Um, this one moment in the character's history, and domestic abuse is horrible. That's not oh, absolutely, it is. But absolutely, I it mean, is. it's it's he's moved on. He's he's mm. atoned. Is I mean, wasps, you know, forgiven him, and you know, it's and like you said, it was written, it was drawn incorrectly anyway. It just wasn't mm. really meant to happen that way anyway. So it's, it's a shame. And now you know, now that wasp is dead, thanks to siege, oh, siege. <laughs> it's, it's you know, there's not much we can do. But he's he's kind of turned over a new leaf now. He's yeah. uh, Part of Avengers Academy and doing well. Oh, anyway, we're talking about what's oh. a real person. <laughs> <laughs> they are real. What are you saying? Here? It's still real to me. I am not reading biographies. <laughs> no, this isn't a history of the world. You are not. Then Stern pops on and develops some uh, several several major storylines, such as Ultimate Vision, in which Vision takes over the world's computer systems, which leads to West Coast Avengers. It does indeed, as mentioned, uh, and also the. Uh, the mentioned greatest Avengers story of all time, Avengers Under Siege. Oh, yeah. Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil. It's sort of alright. It's pretty, great stuff. Just the scene at the end with Captain America with his footlocker. It's just unbelievable. You know, the mansion is destroyed, the team has been decimated, and it actually changes the, the structure of the Avengers completely. So it's, it's mm. an amazing story and some really great, powerful character moments, especially involving Captain America. Yep. And uh, one of my personal favourite Captain America moments, I think a, a moment that just sums up the character perfectly, is 
you know, all these horrible things are happening and um, Cap's being forced to watch uh, uh, Mr. Hyde beat up the Black Knight and almost kill Jarvis and everything. And Baron Zemo is just waiting for him to break and he just sits there stone-faced and says, uh, you know, you'll get yours. I'll remember this. I'll remember this. That's right. It's just... <laughs> as just and Zemo just turns away with a thought bubble and is like, will the man not break? Yeah, just an absolutely brilliant moment in the book. And it's, it's, a, it's a book full of those kind of just great moments. This leads to uh, War on Olympus, where Zeus blames the team for Hercules' injuries and puts them on trial. Oh, really? Um, Roger Stern was just on fire at this point. He was on fire. And, and then another favourite of mine, Heavy Metal, when the Super Adaptoid gets a whole bunch of other robot villains and <laughs> to attack the team. Great stuff. It's just unfortunate at that point that uh, there's a little, some editorial problems between uh, Mark Grunewald, Avengers editor, and Roger Stern, Avengers writer. So Stern, before he left, introduced, uh, like we said, uh, Monica, the photon, uh, Star Fox, uh, Hawkeye's wife, Mockingbird, a personal favourite of yours, Richard. Yeah, I thought it was actually really cool that uh, she was brought into the West Coast Avengers and that Hawkeye actually got married. Yeah. The ladies' man that the he is. The ladies' man he is. Uh, She-Hulk and Tigra. Then, uh, then we get John Byrne. Byrne actually took over Avengers and West Coast Avengers. Yeah. Um, his Avengers run is solid without being... I think anything great, but his West Coast Avengers stories were fantastic. With it, with the what the visions and the Scarlet Witch's children turned out to be magical illusions. Well, basically, the entire really the entire run is centered around the Scarlet Witch, um, yeah. and just breaking her down slowly and surely, and just stripping her. Yeah, you know, first of all, the Vision gets kidnapped and reprogrammed, so he loses his emotions. That cool um, white version. Then the children that uh, they had are revealed to not be real. Yeah. Um, and well, they are now. Aren't they? Aren't they might have. Yeah, well, the uh, the Wiccan and... Wiccan and Speed from the Young yeah, Avengers are yeah, apparently is. now. She used her reality powers to yeah. take their souls and put them into the bodies of these two other people. Not their souls. Um, so she just kidnapped two people and put someone else's souls in there. Um, <laughs> but that makes the skull much more interesting now, don't you understand? But, uh, <laughs> it fully grounds her character and makes her likable and gets fans to. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to disassembled in a minute. But um, yeah, so he slowly breaks her down over the course of about 12 or 14 issues uh, to build up to this, what would have been, from the sounds of things, an absolutely amazing story in which it's revealed that the Avengers never actually existed and so therefore Kang actually conquers the Earth on his first, in his first appearance. And so um, there was going to be a point in Byrne's run where suddenly reality changes and... It's a post-apocalyptic world and nobody remembers because basically Kang has conquered everything. I love alternate realities. I just, I just, I just want to point out something here. So from what you're saying so far, there has never been a, ca- a bad Kang story. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. It's called The Crossing. I just point out, um, <laughs> just point out that Kang is my personal favourite Avengers villain. Oh, there you go. Um, well, uh, the Avengers titles were then brought in the major crossover event, Acts of Vengeance, where Loki assembles many of Marvel's arch-villains. Well, that's the other major storyline that Byrne did during his run. And yeah. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed Acts of Vengeance. I really like Acts of Vengeance. I've got it in hardcover down in my ship. <laughs> I, like, I like the idea of seeing villains fighting heroes they wouldn't normally fight. Mm. So it's, it's a nice sort of just interesting little story to do. Just, just really, It was really just one or two issues per book. So Yeah, it was good. And of course, Byrne leaves. Uh, Bob Harris and Steve Eptin take over. Which features some really nice artwork and some... Questionable story decisions at times. <laughs> Questionable. I think it's one of the weakest periods. It's there are some good stories in that period, but for the most part, it is pretty weak. And 
Um, there was very much an attempt by Bob Harris to make the Avengers more like the X-Men. Yeah. Which the X-Men being, of course, the big franchise at the time. Uh, so there was an attempt to kind of make the Avengers into that, which... It just didn't work. It didn't really work for the We, we get some new, uh, new members, Cersei, Crystal, and uh, Quicksilver, Hercules, and the Vision all come back. And Black Knight, of course, sorry. He was leading, I believe. That's correct. Um, you also get some less memorable characters during that just period. Just some poor, poor stories. Like the whole Death, death Cry Death thing. Cry. Oh, um, terrible. Magdalene. The alternate reality swordsman. There's some weird stuff going on in that period. And, and then all of that culminates in the Operation Galactic Storm, a 19-part storyline, which ran through all the Avengers titles. Yeah, and, it's 19 uh, parts. It could have probably been at least half that, really. It's 18 issues of crap. <laughs> and, and maybe one issue of okay. Awful, and it does result stuff. in the Avengers actually killing somebody, which was... The, the supreme intelligence killed yeah. by Iron Man. Yeah, which was quite. And Captain a... America's like, "What the hell is going on here?" It's an interesting, but once again, it was an attempt to make the books darker and grittier, and and uh, accommodated in uh, the the dark and gritty Force Works. So just like oh. to, just like to point out though, Tony Stark, you know, murders someone, never gets mentioned, and this gets back to what you're saying about Yellow Jacket. Yeah. Um, whereas Yellow Jacket has been hounded by a single mm. incident, and there's been no attempt. It gets back to what you were saying. It, yeah. No attempt. To allow him to re- to feel redeemed, or that's right. Or I, mean, t- I mean, Tony Stark's revealed to be mind controlled at this point, or he, he's, yeah, he's evil. It is later on in the crossing; it's revealed yeah. that he was mind controlled. In the crossing, well, the crossing. Well, terrible, terrible. What stuff. can you say about the crossing other than that? At that point, it was the single worst Avengers story ever written. <laughs> so that's pretty much the early history of the Avengers up until like four hundred ish, when you get you know the crossing, the worst Avengers story ever. Uh, then, of course, you have. Uh, when uh, when Marvel goes into event overdrive, and you have Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return, Avengers Disassembled, which I'm going to go past quickly before Richard gets really upset, uh, New Avengers, <laughs> Mighty Avengers, Dark Avengers, and the Heroic Age. And I think now we're in Shattered, or something like that, Shattered Heroes, or the, the post-Free Fear itself. Well, well uh, just, just briefly, the Heroes uh, Reborn was an attempt to get A-list creators onto the book to try and save Marvel from bankruptcy. Yeah, so by this time, the Avengers, the, the image the, people have gone off. And yeah. So they, Marvel and uh, really, the Avengers book is an absolute disaster. It's a shocker. Fortunately, uh, once those 12 issues are done, <laughs> they do Heroes Return, which leads to uh, the Kurt Busiak, George Perez run on Avengers, which is yeah. just seminal. Avengers, Avengers storytelling. And this is where I really became a, an Avengers fan because it's, the first instance where I'd read them consecutively, month yeah. after month, um, and was absolutely gobsmacked by it. Mm-hmm. it you also get to Avengers Forever, which I think is a... Uh, Avengers Forever is just, uh, yeah, not, once again, one of the seminal Avengers, Avengers stories. Just brilliant mm-hmm. stuff, and certainly one of, pro- probably the best Kang story. And, uh, yeah. And then, unfortunately, they then decide to um, get a writer called Chuck Austin onto the book, which is disaster guy can't write Superman <laughs> guy can't write the Amer- can't, guy can't write the Avengers well actually first it was Jeff Johns before Chuck Austin and Johns set up some really interesting stuff yeah um, but he kind of left to be DC's number one guy so yeah and then we got Disassembled uh, yeah so which Michael equals, Bendis jumps on with uh, Disassembled yeah. which equals The Crossing as the worst Avengers story ever written it's just I actually terrible. don't mind Disassembled all that much <laughs> It's a it's an awful awful story. It, it, it's <laughs> you only just don't like it because the Scarlet Witch becomes a bad guy. No, it's not that. Or a bad I girl. don't I don't like it because 
none of the characters in it are actually acting in character. But then you get... Plus, there are also um, some very strange credits, like Hawkeye's death and that. Yeah. They completely... Um, it should be a big, dramatic, heroic moment. You know, he's down to his last arrow, all hope yeah. lies in his hands. But is that, oh no, my arrows are going... Uh, my arrows are, you know, flaring up, they're going to explode. Here, I'll jump on the back of whatever alien he's jumping on, and we'll go and blow up the ship. As opposed to, you know, getting, say, Captain America's shield, tying his quiver to it, bringing <laughs> the shield into the ship... Oh my god, we've just saved humanity, and what guy's still alive? Or alternatively, he could just take his quiver off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I mean. Um, well, it was a rushed story designed to get them to New Avengers, mm. and look, it worked it's... because from that point onwards, from New Avengers onwards, um, the Avengers became the number one yeah. Marvel franchise. It Huge. overtook the X. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the irony. One of the worst stories ever written and drawn in the Avengers history elevated the Avengers to the top franchise in the, in the comics industry. All right, so uh, New Avengers, as you mentioned, uh, after House of M, uh, you'll, you get uh, some new members, Luke Cage, Wolverine, Ronan, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, and the incredibly annoying Sentry. Oh, yes. Oh, terrible. Uh, and then, of course, you get Civil War, which was a major event uh, in the Marvel Universe. Also uh, rubbish. Civil War is actually pretty good. <laughs> no, Civil War is a series of snapshots and, once again, characters doing stupid things for no reason other than they need to do it in order to progress the plot and it's the kind of writing where the plot determines the characters rather than the characters driving the plot okay <laughs> moving on jeez after that you can't really go past that um yeah which has a whole bunch of new people and it's a it's a pretty major event um which then leads to mighty avengers yeah. and so on and so forth so i mean we won't go over that again but basically just a whole bunch of new and where we are at the moment with the avengers being one of the top books. Well, it's, it's the franchise book for Marvel. It's the yeah. book that determines exactly what's happening in the entire universe. Multiple spin-offs. Uh, Avengers The Initiative, Avengers Academy. Um, Dark Avengers. Dark Avengers. New Avengers. Um, doesn't exist anymore. Mighty Avengers. No, Avengers Academy is still going. Uh, Dark Avengers is actually starting again in a few Restarting. Uh, Young Avengers still going. Avengers is the next generation. Yeah, well, that's what Young Avengers it's, is. So you basically yeah, got like the former sidekicks and stuff yeah, it's like pretty that. much just an Avengers fest at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate that... And it's not going to end now. The movie was huge. Yeah. It's <laughs> just unfortunate that in order to um, turn Avengers into the number one Marvel franchise that they've completely removed all the things that made the Avengers what they were to begin with. We're running out of time, but I do want to mention a couple of the alternate Avengers teams, uh, alternate universe Avengers teams. You've got the 1950s Avengers, um, Avengers Next, that um, alternate future timeline, uh, MC2, uh, Marvel Zombies, uh, House of M Avengers, uh, and um, a a non-powered group of Avengers in the Age of Apocalypse. We've also got uh, the most important ones, which are the Ultimates, Uh, the the flagship team um, of the Ultimate Marvel Universe, uh, led by Nick Fury, um, and is essentially what the film is based on. Uh, you know, pretty much the film is based on, on the Ultimate sort of a version of the team. Um, they were uh, pretty impressive uh, to start off with. They've gotten a bit, bit uh, ordinary now, but uh, when they first started off as a groundbreaking, groundbreaking story and uh, a lot of fun. Obviously, we're fans, so let's just finish off with a bit of uh, fan service. Our preferred Avengers lineup. I actually have an, <laughs> my favourite Avengers lineup does actually appear in issues of the comic, most specifically um, Avengers Annual 10. 
Right. It's a classic uh, story by Chris Claremont and Michael Golden that actually introduces Rogue of the X-Men. But uh, basically, for me, all Avengers teams need to feature Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor as you just your key three characters, followed by the Vision, the Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye. Those are your top six. Um, and then this, this personal favourite team of mine also includes the Beast, um, who I don't think was any better than when he was with the Avengers, and uh, Wonder Man. Uh, so that's my classic Avengers lineup right there from Avengers Annual 10, 1980. Nice. Luke? Yeah. I agree with the six that um, Richo says. Yeah. Um, but I'd have four, um, the, you know, Cap, Thor, Iron Man, Hawkeye, Vision, Scarlet Witch. Um, and then I'd have four reserve members. Uh, Wonder Man being the powerhouse. And I would put the Beast or maybe the Beast and or Hank Pym, the Black Panther or the Black Widow. Um, and then a fourth member of your own choice. Oh, jeez. Uh, one's going to be pretty piddly in comparison. Um, I I go with uh, the classics, of course. Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. Um, Vision, got to be on there. Uh, Ms. Marvel, just because I think she's a bit of a powerhouse and a cool character. And, of course, Spider-Man, for the, because, because I love him. And just because for his, uh, for, like you said, the urban stuff, so the ground sort of stuff. And uh, Wonder Man. Because Wonder Man, basically, back in the day, was Sentry. So before Sentry came along. Yeah. And ruined it for everybody. He was Sentry, but interesting. Yeah. So it's, you know, back when it was... But no Scarlet Witch. I'm never going to forgive you. I'm sorry, I'm not... I put Vision on there, was that... Yeah, look, that's okay. And no Hawkeye. Sorry? And you didn't put Hawkeye in either. Hawkeye, Hawkeye I think, is cool, don't get me wrong. And I really wish on the movie we'd had Boxing Glove Arrow Hawkeye. That would be bad. Yeah, I don't know. If you've got Spider, you don't really need Hawkeye. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to give up Spidey. I know, no, he's I, not going to give up Spidey. And, and I'm probably the same with Batman and the Justice League, but the Avengers is different to the Justice League. I Justice League you, Justice League sort of revolves around having yeah, your top-tier characters in. I didn't put him in there because he's a top-tier character. I put him in mind... there because he's all-round. I mean, he can cover a lot of facets. The scientist, mm. the fighter, long-range attacks... Okay, and just, more to, to stop an argument that and could go for uh, half an hour, I'll just jump in with my team. Oh, cool, cool. Leonardo, Donatello, <laughs> and Raphael. Hey, I like that team. <laughs> John Steed, Mrs. Peel, <laughs> Tiger, and on that Chitara. note, it's uh, the Avengers wrap-up. Lionel. Thanks, guys. Let's move on to Coming Soon. Okay, on May 3rd is Jason Stratton's latest movie, Safe, where he uh, tries to keep a 10-year-old girl safe from people who are trying to get after her. Jason Stratton, I love the man, but he's got to get some different stuff. Isn't this just like hostage? (laughs) Who knows? Witness, but without the Amish. He's awesome, but he's... Seriously, uh, please. Um, And uh, Disney re-released their classic Beauty and the Beast in 3D. I because John Carter it. didn't make any money and they've got to recruit their losses somehow. <laughs> I love Beauty and the Beast. It's, it's uh, probably my favourite Disney movie. and uh, But I just can't stand this 3D stuff. No. I'm over it so much. Yeah. And I'll just watch the Blu-ray that I've got on my show. I think it's not going... Because it's not 3D rendered animation, it's cell animation. It's just going to look like, you know, cell, cell animation... Just the, the the immediate foreground characters in the foreground, the immediate background characters in the background. Exactly. There's not going to be no dimension. And, the, and there's actually going to scene that is practically 3D anyway. So the ballroom scene, yeah, is as close to 3D as you're going to get mm. without actually being 3D. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fine. You don't need that chandelier in your face. No, but but, <laughs> chandelier in your face. Oh no. <laughs> but it's a good, cheap way to make money. Oh yeah. 
by it. releasing the clips, like, like Titanic, was, like Star Wars, like, like everything that's been done in three D. John Carter <laughs> failed at the yeah. box office. Two hundred million dollars. John Carter three D. <laughs> John Carter was in three D. Uh-huh. It's a shame because John Carter was actually pretty good. Uh, then the week after, on May 10th, we get Jim, uh, Tim Burton's big screen adaptation of Dark Shadows. I'm looking which, forward to that. Yeah, which the NCP crew will be reviewing in the next episode. Um, as well as sci-fi comedy Iron Sky, which involves Nazis invading from their secret moon base. You know, for some, reason, for some reason, this idea appeals to me. Know, you were very excited during the preview. I just love stupid story, story ideas. I mean, I, you know, as a sci-fi fan, I love things like super intelligent gorillas and Nazis with bases on the moon. And, you know, they're, they're, sort of, they're really dumb old school stuff. And look, I'm sure this film will be terrible. Yeah. It does look awful, but I want to see it. But still. I'm kind of, yeah, I don't want to see it just because, you know, but an it, evil Nazi base on the dark side of the moon but is just what? something that appeals to me. It looks like it's meant to be a bad 50s science fiction film. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's taking itself yeah. seriously. In any, the special effects look okay. They've, they've put some, they've had some money pumped into it, yeah. into the production, sure. Yeah. But it's, you know, we're going into it thinking this is going to be an all-out serious action adventure. Well, it's clearly not. It's I mean, clearly if not anybody's seen quite, the trailer, hoping, yeah, it's, it's, it it's is, awful it is, it is meant. You're meant to go and thinking it's silly. <laughs> I'm hoping for something like, um, say, Black Dynamite yeah. or yeah. Machete or, you know, something that's fun and silly and kind of paying homage to the past whilst being just really dumb but entertaining. Entertaining, yeah. And as always, NCP's favourite cinema, The Aster, is a great selection of films shown in the next two weeks, including a Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton double, Modern Times and The General on May Great 6th. stuff. And a Sherlock Holmes double on the 9th, which are unfortunately the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films. Check out the full listings at www.astatheatre.net.au. So that's it for episode 23. Don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at nerdculturecast. Or leave a comment on any post on our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com and don't forget to rate us and, and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so next episode we have Dust Jacket on Ender's Game by Austin Scott Card and Popcorn Junkie on Dark Shadows. Looking forward to that. That's it from me. And yes, my name is David. And, and that's sure. it from the crew. Richard. Bye, everybody. Luke. My name is Luke. I can't argue with that. And Crystal. I am not Luke's father. <laughs> That's good. That means there's no questions that I've got to ask. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Let's get to it. Bust a move. There's nothing to it. (laughs) You're strange. (laughs) I'm strange. It's strangely alluring. All right. All right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) Or as uh, Jim Kelly wrote on my picture that I got signed, right (laughs) old. So, Crystal, is it just me, or has this episode just become a complete write-off before we (laughs) start? You know you want it, baby. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>